Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 26 for Monday, February 11th, 2019. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs or that guy that built a pretty mob spawner in the sky. Hello, sir. Hello. I'm proud to be that person. I feel like I'm... It, we, the amount of times we've had the conversations about, like, I hate having a thing up in the sky. Why does it have to be up in the sky? I know it works better <laughs> functionally, but it just sucks. Look at <laughs> yeah. the thing. And yeah, I, I, had to, I had to do something about it finally in in survival guide and yeah i'm really happy with that i'm still not happy with the basket i need to change the basket and i keep saying that at the beginning of every video at this point to remind myself that i need <laughs> to be careful you're gonna be careful it's gonna become a meme <laughs> it is it is but my my wife actually worked for a hot air balloon company for a short time back when she was living in new mexico and uh she actually told me that the base of those baskets is meant to be more of a trapezoid kind of shape and so i'm thinking about redesigning it so it's got a wider base than it has a neck and yeah, I'm I'm ah. I'm thinking about drafting a bit of that in creative and then rebuilding it in survival. But again, building in the sky, it's difficult, man. You you got a oh, yeah. got a pillar survival. up there to make any changes right now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean that'll be a little bit easier with scaffolding, but but uh yeah, that's very, very tricky. Because there's there's no limit vertically on scaffolding, right? Like if you have enough of it, you can just spam that bottom block and just pop, pop, pop. Right? Yeah, yeah. Once, once we have scaffolding, which uh, who knows at this point. I mean, well, I, yeah, no, I just I'm, I'm thinking down the line. Yeah, but for I sure. Obviously, doesn't doesn't solve your problem, but I'm thinking like in the future for sky building that will be a little bit easier. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be easier to make the towers of the stuff for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny how my elytra landing skills are both uh, precise and inaccurate when needed. Uh, I can swoop in and say, "Hey, watch me land on this bed," and bam, mm -hmm. nail it. And then when I'm attempting to land on something that's, I don't know, six blocks wide, can't. Just <laughs> you're trying to land on like the branch of this tree or you're trying to get up to this cliff and you're like, oh, I'll just land here. Nope, totally yeah, miss all, it. And all all like, depth perception just temporarily fails you and you're like, yeah, well, I like, thought that was over there. <laughs> like the bed is half a block off the ground. If I miss it, it's not the end of the world. Whereas this thing, if I miss it, then I've got to re-engage the elytra before I splat. <laughs> it's just like, what? When Why, how do I have these skills when I don't need them? I haven't seen you fly much when I've watched you on stream. Do you fly in first person or third person? First. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because for a while I always used to fly in third person because I couldn't get used to the idea of not seeing when the wings were open. And I feel like it was easier to control that way. But when you're landing on stuff specifically, first person really helps because that's the perspective you're going to be looking at the rest of the time. So you, you have a little bit more spatial awareness, I feel like, if it's in first person. So yeah, yeah it's, for it's, me, for me, it's it's getting used to the fact that you you can actually attack a lot steeper than you think. Like you don't have to come in for a super smooth landing. Like yeah. you can really kind of come in at about a thirty degree angle, and as long as you're jamming on that that shift button, then you're you're you'll stop and you won't slide off the edge. Yeah, uh, and you won't and you won't take a lot of damage. And even if I did take a lot of damage, I would be slow enough at that point if I'm trying to land on something that. Um, that I would only take like a harder or two because I've got like feather falling three or four on my boots. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, I don't do the third person very much because I dislike the fact that the key cycles through several different views. Yeah, no, you're right because uh, you have to look at yourself facing forward before you get back into first person. I think there should be two keys. I think you should be able to map that camera to do different keys. So like, you know, F4 and F5 would be look behind me, look in front of me, depending on what you wanted to do. It would make making YouTube a lot, you know, YouTube videos a lot easier too. Um, but I don't, I don't talk to the camera like a lot of people do uh, mm -hmm. on YouTube for that reason, because I find it very 
cumbersome to switch back and forth uh so i just i stay in first in first person so yeah um yeah that's where i that's where i stay we actually had uh, a, but what we had a, a brief sorry go ahead we had a brief chat in the spawn chunks discord uh last week about after i think we had a a note or two about uh elytra flight and being able to look around because I, th I think it was you pointed out that when you're looking down with the camera you are flying downward Yes, and, correct. And and I think it was Cameron said it would be a fun idea to like be able to lock off the camera and use WASD yes, yeah. to control movement instead. And um, I, I think Pixar did that with their... Uh, they, they have a camera that you can just kind of lock off and you spend more time, I think, in third person in those ARC games anyway. But you could lock off the camera and move around, like move the camera around freely when you're on a flyer. So you could look behind you but still be traveling forward at the same angle the same pitch and nice. yaw that you were at in the first place and yeah i don't know it, it'd be an interesting control scheme to wrap your head around but something that i think minecraft might might benefit from in future yeah unlocking the camera would be good i don't know if i want to try and fly with wasd yeah i, th but, I think but as long as it like locked your current trajectory at the time yeah and, yeah. and you you're aware of like the momentum that you'd have and if you were heading upwards then of course you would stall but that's that's how the gliding mechanic works as opposed to being on like a flying creature like you would be in the arc games but well and the yeah. thing is like if you're up there and you're gliding and, you, and you've you've reached you know you're at like 200 or something like that and you're just pointing in the direction and the point of being up there is to look around at either your build or where you're going or show off your world then it would be really cool to just like okay i'm at the right angle I know I'm not going to hit the ground anytime soon. And if I, if I am, I'm going to find out because I'll be noticing how fast I'm going down. Uh, and then to just be able to unlock that camera and look around. And I'm wondering if that's the difference in the mentality is that these wings are attached to our backs in Minecraft, whereas in Pixar, you are on a different beast. Like yeah. you're on a flying thing. Uh, maybe we'll get flying mobs that we can ride in Minecraft at some point. I've, I can't believe that I've never suggested that as as a <laughs> as a thought i'm sure someone else has that that can't be the first time that that's ever come about oh yeah no um, rideable dragons have been a request for the longest time in fact it's something time. that you can actually do in sky factory once you've i think once you fought the ender dragon a couple of times you can grow your own dragon eggs and the dragons will no. actually like work for you and stuff that would be um that would be a fun mod project to work on like modeling the dragons and having them look different like i mean i'm having you know in, immediate you know, visual ties to something like how to train your dragon and have things be really different, <laughs> really different looking. Like, I mean, Minecraft, I mean, you can ride pigs in Minecraft. How hilarious would it be if you gave your elytra to a pig and it became like a little flying pig? A flying pig, yeah, <laughs> so, totally. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so when pigs fly and it had like little teeny wings, <laughs> you know, and it would be like a little, like a little um, moth, like just really quick flaps and it would be just like a, like flying on a helicopter, but it's a pig, like I would, I would be on board. It's like kind that. of this pig cherub. <laughs> that you're flying around in the skies yeah Excellent. oh my god too funny uh so what have you been up to in minecraft this week man aside from building a giant hot air balloon and stuff like that i've been planning out more of my city which i'm very happy with so far i'm really getting to grips with differences in height in a city in terms of the infrastructure and stuff been looking at some of the stuff that i I found on ArtStation these little inspirational images and I wanted to build more, nice. more walkways and like, you know, those kind of arch tunnel kind of things where it's a bridge over the top, but there's still a path underneath for people to walk around the lower sort of section of the city. Uh, so I built one of those that's in today's video. And yeah, I started planning out areas for market stalls and houses and kind of raised sections where there are going to be slightly more upmarket shops and and houses. I'm going to do the, the kind of style thing where you have a, a house on the it's like an apartment above a shop 
basically. So the shop floor is the first floor. I think I think Whip was talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. With you have a shop floor on the bottom floor, and then the person lives above the shop. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm planning stuff like that in the city. I am building my first guardian farm in te- in technical news. So I yeah I started that today. I'm gonna try and never get the done one? out tomorrow. I've never done one because for much ah. the same reason I've never built an iron farm before this series. Right. The technical builders on the server got to it first, and it mm. always seemed like such an overwhelming project. You have to have enough materials. Uh, in right. pre pre 1.13, everybody was drying out their guardian temples completely with stacks upon stacks of sand. And that always felt like an incredible task that I would rather leave to somebody else and then reap the benefits. Because, you know, being a builder, I love Dark Prismarine. It's one of my favorite blocks. And that's where I'm at in Survival Guide right now is I really need some. And I'm the only person who can build it in Survival Guide, so I guess I've got to. Luckily for me, the new kind of meta for Guardian Farms involves using Soul Sand Bubble Columns. I'm looking at making basically the Cub fan design, the one that uh, he and Iskal built on Hermitcraft this season, and I don't know if Cub is necessarily the originator of the design, but perhaps he's sort of popularized it. He's the one who has um, a tutorial video on it, among other things. And yeah, it's it's going to lag my world out a great deal, from what I understand. I, I did run it quickly and creative. I just filled the area with water to kind of remove the temple and then filled the you know bottom layer of the ocean floor with soul sand and then killed the guardians a couple of times to see how quickly they would respawn in the bubble columns and to check they actually did because it seems weird to me that guardians can still spawn inside of those but they do and oh boy does it reduce my frame rate to something like i I think i I normally get maybe about 300 fps with my new computer and i cap it so that i don't have to worry too much about that but it was reducing it to more like 60 which is still fine, obviously, for the purposes of recording. But boy, does that mean my computer is doing some work! Wow, yeah. Because I was just—I was just about to comment that you've got a brand new machine. So like that is—that's something. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, it—it it is no surprise that everybody kind of complains whenever they go past the Guardian Farm on on Hermitcraft. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's good because it's a couple of mechanics I've explained in survival guide before so it's not such a huge leap from the stuff that i've already taught people about how bubble columns work about how fence gates can block water sources that's basically Mm -hmm. all it is and then drop the guardians through lava set up these water streams the the biggest task in this whole thing as far as the design of it goes is removing the temple and then getting all the resources to do the rest and that's if that's as simple as it is if it's just a matter of time versus the actual difficulty of it then i think it's good as opposed to the previous Guardian farm things where for a start you have to clear out the entire ocean floor area sort of all the way down to the ocean floor with sand but then you also mm. have to build this kind of plus shaped farm for the best the most efficient rates and it has to have sky access and there's a lot of stuff that people explain about this stuff that I don't really understand why it happens you just have to kind of you know take for granted that it does the sky yeah. access above mob farms thing and like for whatever reason a certain spawnable space being more efficient than having more space and sub chunks and stuff like that that's the stuff that i can tell people why like i can tell people that it works i can't tell people why it works so i'm trying to stay away from farms like that where i just have to tell them to accept this on blind faith and into stuff that i can give a more practical explanation for which is why yeah soul sand bubble columns yeah yeah yeah. uh well to to save us a couple of emails uh just to be clear for guardians specifically it's not that they need sky access it's that you have to block sky access yeah yeah so i just i think you might have said 
they need Sky Access. Right. Or, yeah, yeah. I just, I want to make sure that, I, I mean, I don't mean to correct you. I just want to make sure that people... Yeah, it's we, pe- that people, we're on the square. People have been telling me that have is is not necessarily like having sky access or not. It's that that there has to be sky access to the block on top of the mob farm. It, oh, yeah, it's oh, it's, okay. it's something it's something along those lines. It's yeah. it's not that they need sky access to spawn. It's that the block above the mob farm, the the kind of top layer of it, has to be exposed to the sky to get maximum rates. But, uh, but if it okay. isn't, okay. if it isn't, that's still fine because it still works. It just doesn't give you the most efficient thing. People, yes, people were telling that's me that's what we went when, through with ours. Yeah, when I built my hot air balloon, some people were saying, "Well, now you've built like this extra wool canopy over the top of your hostile mob farm. There's going to be less spawn rates in there." And I went, "Well, why?" I don't understand why that happens. So if somebody can email the show and explain that to me, that would be fantastic because sure. I would love an explanation as from... As long know, as it's spawn-proof, then no. Like if it's all covered in carpet, then there's no place to spawn. You're yeah, fine. Ex- exactly. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. it comes down to one of those like game calculation things where if there's... I think if there's no blocks above it, then it's not checking for spawnable space oh, further well, up. Even I, if it's yeah, I, if, but, if, some, if somebody can confirm that for me, that'd be great because I'd love to be able to explain that in one of the upcoming you know tutorial episodes that i make but yeah people were saying it's going to reduce the amount of spawns in the spawner because maybe the game is going to be checking for other places it can spawn stuff and failing but then reducing the amount it can spawn in the actual spawner i've not noticed a difference it it still churns out mobs like i don't need more than that well technically they the reduction may be a correct statement the percentage of reduction and the percentage of which you care yes. <laughs> are no. probably negligible, right? Oh, believe like me, yeah. The percentage I care is virtually nil. <laughs> no, nil, yeah. yeah. And that's and that's where we, we head with our Guardian farm. Because I, I think if I remember correctly that it's not that the Guardians won't spawn, it's that they will spawn less often if the water column that they're spawning in is exposed to uh, is exposed to uh, sky access, which is why you get more Guardians inside of a temple than outside of a temple. Yeah, yeah. Right. So what we did on ours is because we're not a big server. We don't need to clear the whole thing. We didn't need all that. We emptied the temple inside, but we left all the water on top of the temple because we were just like, nope, that is too much work. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't need it. So yes, guardians still spawn outside of the temple, but that all has sky access. So they they spawn at a reduced rate. Whereas inside we've cleared everything and we've made a little box. It's not a plus sign. It's just a 20 by 20 box. Uh, and it's fine. It works just fine. Uh, we the, and we took advantage of building it as low as possible because we did not make a XP farm. It's yeah. we just wanted the blocks. We just wanted the drops. So they fall through and they die and fire on hoppers and it's done. Um, and I think I AFK there for one day, like on my on my laptop six months ago, and I've never been back because we got <laughs> so much stuff yeah. that it like it just it was not a problem. Uh, it, it's good to know if anybody if we've got some people on the server that want to do some some Asian inspired, some Japanese and Chinese inspired builds. So there's probably going to be a lot of prismarine yeah. happening, uh, and and even though you get a lot of shards, they disappear real quick when you start making blocks out of them. So oh, d- dark it's good. prismarine is so resource intensive. You've oh, got eight, very much eight so. shards and an ink sack, which again leads me to my next project i'm gonna to have to build an ink farm at some point <laughs> although right. it never, it yeah, never ends <laughs> i i've been i've been preempting that by killing squid basically whenever i see them so that i don't have to build an ink farm for as long as possible but i've probably got maybe five six stacks of ink left in my storage system and those are going to go immediately once i have enough prismarine shards to make dark prismarine mm-hmm. also i kind of wonder if that 
is the ink sac going to remain in the dark prismarine recipe once the black dye is separated out from ink sacs? I don't know if I checked mm. the crafting recipe as of 1.14 snapshots, but my, no. my, my concern is like, is that still going to be necessary i think squid is still going to be the best source of dye anyway because the only other one is wither roses which involved the wither killing things for mm-hmm. you but i don't know if it's necessarily that you're dyeing the prismarine black or if the ink sack is because it's an aquatic mob it's just a fundamental part of the block somehow be interesting yeah. to find that out like i hadn't i hadn't considered that until now no no i i haven't really paid much attention to the new recipes just because it's like i just it when, once you get into that kind of nitty-gritty stuff it's like well it doesn't matter really what they are i'm we're going to have to deal with it when it comes out anyway so yeah. i haven't really looked at it so and i and i think too i think my my lack of concern for that kind of stuff is because we're not resetting like we will eventually roll into 1.14 so uh we're gonna have enough resources around that like i've got three or four stacks of of, of ink sacks at the moment so I'm not going to be out of ink as soon as, you know, 1.14 drops. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have, I'll have some time. Um, I do, I am thinking about it though, because our squid farm previously was wonderful, but it's not in a river biome. So it's no longer oh, working. That's the worst. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, 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 they've changed the, uh, the position yeah. of those. Yeah. It's not ginormous. So it wasn't, it's not a huge thing. I mean, I learned a lot. So I'm like building another one. We'll have two things. One, we will build a smaller one because we don't need the big size, the, the current size, uh, on the server. And then two, um, we'll know where to build it. So it's not going to be too, too much of a problem. Uh, but, uh, for me this week, uh, I've been actually focusing on redstone and it's funny that you mentioned, uh, cup Van 135 because, uh, I actually am using one of his designs, which I was watching, Iskel build on a stream and I finally get around to replacing the very first automated farms that I built on the Citadel and they're very very simple pumpkin farms uh, uh melon farms excuse me uh, it was just like you know a, a power going into a block into a piston and then when the melon grows it fires the piston and it the sort piston of completes the in. circuit right completes yeah. the circuit right so but it's a it's a one cell thing like you you can't there's no observers it's it's a very very basic thing uh, and they're okay. They're a little lossy, but they're the kind of things that you just set it and forget it. And then you go to check your chest and you're like, oh, I have a half a chest of melon slices. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. You know, that'll be good for potions and you don't have to worry about it. But now that we're getting into villager trading and I've got more active people on the server, I wanted to have both pumpkins and melons available at the Dartmouth Meadows greenhouse. So I was trying to find a efficient but small um melon farm that i could replace these two farms because they're also in the way like the 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 meadows has changed a lot so i wanted to kind of move them so i they call it a a melon smasher or the smasher design and it i have to say it is brilliant the way that it works uh it is a bunch of observers that face down looking at these at the places where the melons will grow there's a slime block above them that bud powers a piston in the middle the piston in the middle gets fired, which triggers a, an observer at the top, which tri- triggers another observer at the top and pushes the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. And what's really neat about it is that for me, the whole thing always works because to give you an idea of how efficient this farm is, I needed one module. There are four melon plants. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, people on larger servers will build like a 12 by 15 or like they'll have a much larger area. But it's a three by three farm on the inside and a five by five once I decorated it and put glass and stuff around it. Uh, But it pumps out like I was playing during the stream for two hours. I had three and a half stacks of slices, I think, come out of this thing. Uh, It's bananas. 
And I had a lot of fun working on it and we hooked it all into the water stream. And this is now the second time that I've done this overflow circuit where I want the chest under the farm to fill up first. And then I want to send the excess onto the greenhouse and the waterways are all in place. And, and it went much smoother, of course, the second time, because I had just, I had just built this last weekend mm -hmm. uh, on the pumpkin farm. So putting it on the melon farm was great. This thing came together so quick, I didn't know what to do for the rest of my stream. I was done in like an <laughs> hour. Like, this is so I, simple. It was like, wow, this is fantastic. Because yeah. it's such a small farm. Because I was taking that thought and that conversation we had about, uh, about smaller farms for smaller servers that don't need a million of everything, right? Like we just, we want this thing to pump out melons, but we don't want it to back up our system, right? And, uh, and it's always going to be running because it's next to my cabin and I'm probably the one that's online the most. And next to that, it's Alistair and, and Matcast and they're, they, they're neighbors. So they're loading in the chunks. So it's really, it, it's all we need. And it was fun. It's wicked to watch. And if you ever see it in a larger module, what's really cool about it is that the whole thing doesn't fire when one melon grows, right? It's just those four next to it. So some pistons might fire unnecessarily, but it's only the surrounding four uh, pistons of that one melon. Yeah. So what's neat is that the, 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 the smart farm kind of like you see these little like pistons jam down on, on the melons in different spots when you're watching a big farm do it. And it's almost, it's like the, it's like a, it's like it's, well, it's not like it's sensing. It is sensing where things are happening, but only portions of the farm are stomping out the melons. Like yeah. it, it looks very intuitive and it's very fun to watch. Like I could sit there and just be like, I'm just going to wait for this to happen. It's so, just, it looks, it's like it's watching so one of those, one of those um, mechanical player pianos just kind of playing something, you know, automatically with yes, the keyboard and all yes. the notes depressing and stuff without anybody actually playing it. It's, it's kind of yeah. a similar sensation of like the machine somehow knows what it's doing and it's great. I like that yeah, stuff a so, lot. Yeah, so I did that and then I realized that we were getting a lot of entity lag uh, because I think I was using a lot of uh, old uh, block glitch elevators. Uh-huh. Uh, so I decided that uh, because it didn't require any redesign, didn't require any movement, I just had to clear it a column of glass that was like 15 blocks tall and replace it with water uh, that uh, I would change those on stream. So I did I did that. I, I The greenhouse now is much more efficient. We added in uh, we added in some um, added in some uh, some waterways and some extra chests and stuff. So it should be good from now on. I actually had a, um, a pixel plague who wrote into the, the spawn chunks last week was in the stream and he was throwing some cool technical information my way. And because of the entity lag that happens, if you have a lot of entities build up in an area that eventually can affect hopper tick and hopper timing. Right. Okay. So if, so if you have a stack of chests and you've got hoppers going to the back and you're wondering why there's items in the top chest when they should all be going to the bottom, it's because of lag. So lag could be contributing to that top hopper, not knowing whether it should, it should pull or push. And so items get pushed when they should be pulled. Right. And yeah. you still get the item. You don't lose it. It's just, it's weird. You'll end up with like half a stack in your top chest and then everything else is the bottom. And so if you have a bunch of entities lying around or if you're experiencing lag in that area, then that could be due to it. And I, I, I was so appreciative. I was like, oh, so if I tackle the lag by reducing the time it takes for these items to get up and clump up, then I could potentially... Um, solve this issue. So I haven't tested it because it hasn't been running for more than a day, but uh, I'll be keeping an eye on it. And if items are hap are appearing in those top chests a lot less, then we'll know that that was the issue. So it was really cool. I did a lot of science on, on Minecraft this weekend. It was a lot of fun. 
And speaking of science, we've got a little bit of an under-the-hood snapshot for you this week. This is Minecraft Snapshot 19W06A. There is not a huge amount to cover here. Uh, there is a new splash screen, a slightly improved startup time, so efficiency across the board, I guess. Um, they've updated LWJGL, which I think is, yeah, something to do with the Java gameplay library, but again, this is slightly above my pay grade technical-wise. Uh, particles are now being broken up into individual textures rather than being in a PNG file that stores all of them, which is apparently breaking some people's resource packs right now, but they're working on a way to still be able to load old resource packs. And the, you know, resource pack creating community is pretty good at, um, you know, adapting to that stuff quite quickly anyway, if it's just break this up into a series of images instead of one big image. I imagine that should be easy enough for them to do. Uh, there have been a couple of adjustments to the Wandering Trader. No specifics mentioned here on the changelog. Uh, there are there's a new optional tag for block items, which is a block state tag, which apparently contains a map of block state properties to be overwritten after the block is placed. And it says, note the item model is not affected. Some people out there probably understand what those words mean. Personally, I don't. Uh, one other thing I wanted to cover outside of the Minecraft snapshot, there is uh, a little bit more information now on the Minecraft wiki, thanks to players getting time with the Bedrock beta, getting a little bit more familiar with the new villager behaviors that we mentioned last week. And it's some stuff that I didn't even see until after the show last week when some folks uh, contacted us on Twitter and via email just to say, hey, there's actually these new kind of behaviors and there's some stuff that you want to look at with villagers here. So the wiki has a section under villagers about dynamic professions. It's currently mentioned as only being part of Bedrock because the Bedrock beta is the only one it's currently appeared in, but we presume that these are the behaviors that are coming to Java at some point as well. Basically, villagers can be unemployed and will gravitate to these new workstation blocks, which are the cartography table, the blast furnace, etc., to take up that profession if it isn't already claimed by another villager. And over time, what this will mean is that villagers basically even out the professions among the village. So if there's like a bunch of clerics that spawn but no librarians, then maybe one of the clerics will realize that there's too many clerics, will go over to a lectern and will become a librarian, which is kind of an interesting way of doing things. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that in Java. I haven't been into the Bedrock beta for a little while. But uh, yeah, a bit thin on the ground with the snapshot this week. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised that they're touting like the fancy new splash screen when it was quite underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's the only news they've got to give us at this point. As far as yeah. the, the, st the stuff that folks like us will be interested in, like the, the particles and stuff, I imagine will be very relevant to some people's way yeah. of like interacting with the game like the texture pack creators are going to be like well that's the headline right there particles are going to yeah. be different and i need to to figure yeah. that out but yeah and i think it makes more sense too because something i i mean as, as i've been looking under the hood in minecraft and other games as well uh learning about pixel art and stuff like that i i've always found it a little bit confusing when the art for a specific item or many items is in one file yeah it, that to me seems like poor organization like at the very minimum your different particles like smoke particles or whatever should be in a a separate file now i don't expect every frame of an animation to be in its own file but uh, similar to how water animates in minecraft it's just one long one long tall image and then minecraft plays you know 16 pixels of it at a time like it scrolls by essentially uh and so the animation for uh for particles in minecraft is currently all in one image you can see this if you look into a texture pack and you're like oh man if i was a texture pack artist this is incredibly cumbersome to work with 
Whereas if you had one, uh, one, uh, uh, what's word, a file for say something like the smoke that's coming out of the new campfire that you had to edit and you didn't have to worry about anything. Like you didn't have to worry about screwing up your crosshair mm-hmm. or the particles that come out of a, of a, of a redstone, uh, you know, a lamp or, or the particles that come out of the enchanting table, uh, while you're editing something you want to edit. I mean, it just makes so much more sense that you open the smoke <laughs> file yeah, and yeah. you edit the smoke file. And that is the only thing that you're affecting. Rather than I think o- it's going to be a lot the better. En- the entire like particles.png, I think is yeah. what it is. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, when, when, you know, when you're one person coding a game, I can appreciate the efficiency of keeping it very, very simple. And if that's just a bunch of, you know, if that's something that you you find easier to wrap your head around than I can appreciate that. But, but I think now that the game is so much larger and people are doing so much with it in terms of modding and texture packs that I think that's, I think that's a, a really good improvement. Something that I, I caught from a video from Azumavoid was uh, a tweet from Bartek Bach and it was a cryptic kind of thing like, Hey, something here is not the same. And he's looking at a bunch of paintings and the, the takeaway is that the paintings look like they're going to be getting a higher resolution they're going to be being separated out into their own files. So again, when you look at the painting files in Minecraft, it's one image that covers all the different paintings that you can get. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it looks like these paintings are going to be not only in their own image files for each individual painting, but they're going to have the ability to be animated because there's the Doom guy is in the middle of this of this image. Oh, that's what that, that guy's from. I, th- I knew I recognized him from something. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I recognized it as well. I thought it was Wolfenstein, but then when uh, Azumavoid said it was the Doom guy, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, any, but he's looking, anybody knows he's looking Doom, left and right. Zuma as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's looking left and right. Like he's kind of, so, I mean, cool opportunities to have things like, you know, a ghost or a picture of your Minecraft character kind of looking left and right from a painting on yeah. the wall. Like no, this is totally, uh, totally Ghostbusters. This is the, yeah, uh, the first yeah, thing yeah, I think of. Yeah, yeah. Vigo. <laughs> uh, but also like for, for doing something really cool, if you're doing a custom map, if you're doing, uh, you know, something that needs animation, you could then animate natively in Minecraft. You could replace these paintings with like electrical panels or television screens and have something like you know a, a, a faux soccer match going back and forth on your big screen TV. You know when you're when you're making your builds, I, it's it's very very cool. It opens things up to a lot of creativity and uh, having higher resolution paintings. I think is going to go is going to be fantastic. Yeah, they actually looking at this tweet. They almost look like the ones that are in uh, like the faithful 32x pack, the one that's yes. like yep. the, the upgraded textures sort of thing for for default Minecraft. I. Yeah, it's it's interesting that that's not been done before in a way. I get that the the textures being sixteen by sixteen kind of fits with the other blocks that they're that that are around the paintings, but with with a little bit more care being taken to make the style of Minecraft more unified and kind of you know change the quality of the pixel art a little bit lately, it's it's interesting to see them approaching paintings with that kind of mindset as well. Mm. Did you have a yeah, chance I, to take I, a look at um, Dynamic Professions at all? I did, and I find it very interesting, especially because you know, being a mix of a of a you know a builder and a technical player, and in some ways getting frustrated when you have you know one villager breeder and you kind of have to wait for the 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 pool in the hotel of eternity to fill up with your your quote unquote guests uh, before you sort them out and getting you know sorting through six or eight nitwits before you get to any kind of thing that you might want to keep uh, as far as a trade goes. I find it interesting because I'm looking over the dynamic. Um, uh, professions and i think i want to say are fletchers they're not new are they no fletchers are uh, yeah they're, they're in they, in current minecraft 
Stonemasons are new though. Stonemasons are the new one. Yeah, they, they're the ones that fill out it. the the stonecutter sort of right. niche where the stonecutter didn't really have a villager who was associated with it. But everybody else is a current, not, like not a not a reimagined. I mean, they might be reimagined, but they're not a new addition. It's only the stonemason that's the new. Yeah, the the most the recent new... one to be added before this was the cartographer. For a while, it was just librarians, and then they got split into librarians and cartographers. Right. But yeah, the stonemason cool. is the only new one for this update. So I like the fact that they all have their own block, as you suspected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, with the, well, I should, should say it's not necessarily a new block. So the farmer is going to be going to the farmland block, not necessarily one of the new crafting blocks. But fishermen go to barrels, shepherd go to the loom, which is new, um, fletching table for Fletcher, brewing stand for the cleric. Uh, was that that's not new either? The brewing stand and the cleric they were the brewing stands and villages were always in churches, right? I don't know if there are brewing stands in villages, are there? Like, currently? I, I don't I think I've ever were. ever spotted one. The only time I've ever seen a brewing stands generated with the terrain are in the, uh, at least in the overworld, are in those igloos where you can go down oh, to the basement right. of the igloo and there's like a research station there with a zombie villager. But hmm. I don't think... Maybe, maybe you'll find clerics in those now. Who knows? Yeah, um, I, I can't remember if you find clerics in there already. It's interesting. But yeah, anyway, I don't yeah. think there's naturally been a brewing stand in a village unless it's on the upper level of the church that I never look at. Yeah. So, I mean, everything else kind of pans out the way that you think. You know, weaponsmith, grindstone, stonemason, stonecutter, blah, 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 cartographer, cartography table. It all kind of lines up. Uh, the the thing that I'm curious about is that they mentioned that villagers that are unemployed or don't have a table present could switch to a needed profession if that table is around and what that says to me is the minecraft community is immediately going to try to find a way to say like hmm there's three nitwits in this village there's no toolsmith or there's no librarian or i want more librarians can i turn these nitwits into librarians rather than having to breed more villagers and just depending on the algorithm get whatever i get yeah. If you can if you can say, nope, I don't want yet another cleric. I already have one. You can just shuffle them off and stick them next to a, a lectern and hope they turn into a librarian. Like, <laughs> yeah, if, just kind of read more books. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, if, I like if that's that. quantifiable, then then that is going to be huge for trading. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And um, yeah, we had a couple of a couple of tweets with um, Tanner Pearson, who I think is a developer on Bedrock and. Yeah, he said like he really likes the control you have over villages now because it feels like, you know, as you're if you find a village naturally in in the wild as it were, you can build one of them out and equip it with all of the like the new workstation blocks and mm. it can really kind of shape the village to be more of like your project rather than something the game has just plonked down in front of you, which is really interesting. Um yeah. on the wiki it does say that nitwits and unemployed villagers cannot work nitwit and unemployed baby villagers cannot change profession so i presume when, oh. a, when a baby is born it's now going to be unemployed unless they still assign employment to them at birth sometimes um but it looks like nitwits are still going to be useless and won't be able to learn anything new they are just still the okay. village the village idiot as it were i missed that part yeah well see what i do with nitwits is i i use them for villager breeders so you put two nitwits together and then a third nitwit to be the door detector and like so that's their use for me is as they they're the ones that just make the breeding happen yeah it's going to be interesting to see if the criteria for villagers being willing to breed is going to change because they're already changing Mm. a fair amount about their ai not to mention the fact that in order to refresh their trades i think they're now going to have to sleep so villager trading halls are going to be completely different, if possible at all. I think it's going to be more like, 
almost as though you've made a museum exhibit about a village or like a kind of, <laughs> I don't know, mm. so, some, some sort of like village within your base that's actually an active working village rather than being like a trading hall where they're all in individual cells because yeah. once once you lock a trade they're going to have to sleep the night before you can trade with them again i think some people somebody even said to me although i don't see any information to support this on the wiki page that the villagers might actually change their trades overnight so if a librarian is trading one book to you he goes to sleep his trades are refreshed but they are different trades i don't know for sure if that's actually something they have planned or something that somebody just said because they didn't understand the refresh part yeah. of the, the trading thing I don't, I don't know yeah but it's, it's going to be it's going to be a controversial change if that does happen because you find that one villager who's got a mending oh, book and then yeah just if immediately that goes away loses it. Uh, I, people are, i mean you talk about a way back to afk fishers because <laughs> that'll happen real fast right controversial controversial yes. yeah yeah well and i think that kind of goes against the idea of like taking features away mm-hmm. yeah you know like you, you you that's generally not something you want to do when it's been something that's been in the game for a very long time and people have built entire you know infrastructures around it uh while it's their purview to change it i feel like I don't think that that taking something away. Uh, I mean, I can see adding the the need for a villager to sleep before they'll unlock their trades. I can see that. I mean, it kind of makes sense that all of my guests in my hotel of eternity will need beds, which yeah. I have not provided for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's no maid service in the hotel at the current <laughs> at the current time. So so I, I get that, uh, but I, I don't. I don't say I would be very pleased if if my you know mending book of ten emeralds goes away. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I think yeah. I think it may have just been a misunderstanding, and it may have just been yeah. that they, they refresh yeah, yeah, yeah. their trades. But that again is is quite a good thing in a way because sometimes a villager's trades lock up and they just don't have anything that you want to trade with them. Like I, I get this now. I've got a, a double cave spider spawner. I have a mob farm that's churning out string. I trade that with my Fletchers. The Fletchers don't have anything I want to buy back from them after that one trade is locked up with the emeralds i don't want to buy bows i have more than enough arrows from the aforementioned farm and i the the other thing they do is if anything the worst insult of all you give them an emerald and some gravel and they turn it into flint for you what am i going to do with this flint (laughs) moyang nothing so yeah so i think having them being able to go to sleep and then come back with a refreshed string trade is a lot nicer of an option to me than having to trade for something i don't want and just fill up another chest with junk I think it's going to be worthwhile having that stuff refresh more dynamically now, or at least give mm-hmm. us more options to. If they refresh them during the day still, then great. But if a sleep is always going to, you know, have them willing to trade more stuff, then then perfect. I think I think mm-hmm. that sounds like a good change to me. Yeah, I can understand nerfing it a little bit, you know, just kind of make it a little bit more of a challenge. Add, well, it adds more game to it. I shouldn't say nerf. It, it adds more required skills and know-how to yeah to use the the trading system just a couple and and the trading is going to be revamped even more i'm sure so i mean like it's it's hard to you know uh, we're i think we're pretty careful about not so much passing judgment uh but always being speculative and and knowing that this stuff is all still up in the air until it actually lands but yeah uh what do you say we move on to some chunk mail because we had a doozy this week Yes, we do. We have a a long email here, which I'll try and get through. So excuse me if I make a couple of mistakes. But this is from Nicholas L, or Nicknack, as he prefers to be known. And this is a response to the discussion we had in episode 25. Says, uh, I enjoyed the episode and had a few points to throw in. Java worlds are infinite, right? So that means a lot of the resources you guys were talking about are infinite. Hard to find or extremely far away, yes, but still infinite. 
I do agree that clay, quartz, and red sand and so forth would all be especially nice to craft. Uh, for me, as a PS4 legacy player, the console edition allows for a maximum of a 5,000 by 5,000-ish block world, which is limiting for world and structure generation. I like the chunk mail about newer features basically being new versions of things we can already do, just with a hint of added efficiency. I also feel like it's a waste of development time that could be used for new features or revamping old essential features like the minecart. It is Minecraft after all. I think the new blocks, Stonecutter, Blast Furnace, etc. should add the renewable functionality to blocks that we were talking about, clay and quartz and stuff like that. Uh, also, Joel, I agree with you about the limitations of the Wandering Trader and his trades for minuscule amounts of blocks. If it's going to be rare to find him and he disappears no matter what, he should trade for stacks of blocks for 18, uh, for 8 or 16 emeralds. And isn't there a 2-block tall flower that makes purple dye uh, with some bone meal? You should be all good there. Love the podcast and the YouTube stuff, keep it up. I'm a long-time console player, but I bought Java after watching the survival tutorial and then decidedly vanilla, which led me to Hermitcraft. I even tried to join a server. Sadly, even with Optifine, I can only get around 15 FPS, and it's even worse on a server, so I had to stick with console for now. But I continue to keep up with the Pixel Risk content because it's so good. Well, thank you very much. Uh, also, somebody needs to get Mojang and 4J Studios to finally bring the console edition to Bedrock. I'm tired of waiting. Thanks for reading my rant. Nick, aka Nicknack on Java. So there's a lot to unpack here, and I think that we're probably going to make this and the other two chunk mails our kind of main discussion topic because there's mm -hmm. a little bit of stuff to chat about here. Um, the first thing I wanted to touch on is the last thing he mentioned in his email uh, about Mojang and 4J bringing console edition to Bedrock. It already kind of is. like Bedrock is the Xbox One and Switch version of the game now. The problem with PS4 is that Sony doesn't like to have cross-play with other consoles. And this is a problem that's happened with a number of games that are cross-platform. Uh, so things like Fortnite, for the longest time, Fortnite players uh, couldn't play on PS4 with people who were playing on Xbox. I think that has actually been resolved now. But it is a Sony kind of marketing tactic, in a sense, to be like, well, your friends have to have a PS4 if they want to play with you on your PS4. So everybody has to buy a PS4. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily think the ball is in Mojang's court with that stuff. I think it's very much a Sony decision not to have the PS4 edition be part of the Bedrock family of stuff. When they launched that Better Together update a while ago that meant uh, people on MCPE could play with people on Windows 10, could play with people on Xbox, could play with people on Switch, PS4 was missing from that. And it's a discussion that PS4 players are still having with people saying, please enable cross-platform play for us, but then... I think that involves basically bringing Bedrock Edition to PS4, and I don't know when that's going to happen, unfortunately. Mm. So that is the bad news. The good news is you brought up a lot of other great points in your email that we can now discuss. Uh, and I can address one really quickly. You are correct, I, but I was probably talking about magenta dye, because I thought I said that the beetroot would be great if it produced magenta dye instead of red dye. And your, I can't remember which flower it is. I think it might be the peony. Peony might be pink. I think maybe the lilac is magenta. One of the two tall flowers gives you magenta dye. Yes. Purple dye, though, you have to craft. There's nothing yes. in the game that gives you that, unless it's a new flower, unless it's something in 1.14 that I'm yeah. not remembering. But and we currently, we don't have a too high purple flower. We do not have a too high purple flower. We do now have, this is something that came up in somebody else's email, and I think you said you got a tweet about it as well. We do have yeah, a blue we flower coming to the game. Yeah, we can cover this real quick because it's not a, it's not a big thing. But uh, I believe it was uh, who was it? Uh, Tim H said uh, just wanted to note both uh, of you agreed that lapis wasn't renewable. Clerics will trade for it. 
uh, and uh, they're correct there. And then I also got a tweet from Stephen uh, at Fried Gaming Geek, which is a hilarious Twitter That's handle, great, by the way. Great name. Uh, and he mentioned that we forgot about the new blue flower in 1.14 that makes blue dye. So, um, so yeah, so purple is now in 1.14 will be much easier to get. Yes. And, and not so limiting because it, it relieves the need for blue from lapis. Same with cyan, actually, because we all have more cactus green than we know what to do with. It's the blue dye that seems to be the bottleneck. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, thanks to Tim H. And, and thanks to uh, to Stephen at Fried Gamer Geek for, for sending those corrections. Uh, not that there's so much corrections. It's like, hey, don't forget. Um, and that's something about when there, you get like over 600 items in this game, you kind of <laughs> forget yeah. what does what. I, I, think, I think the cornflower might even have crossed my mind at the time, but you were in the middle of making a point and I didn't want to like step in and be like, well, actually, Right. there's a blue flower so not not that people are doing that to us on twitter it's great to start a conversation about that stuff no yeah. and they were always very, and, they, and i should point out that both the email and the tweet were like hey by the way love the show but you forget about this flower so they were very positive yes. you know corrections constructive you know, feedback we are absolutely fine with yeah information sharing not you know shut up you noob yes <laughs> you know, not, stuff, not the, which... the royal the royal fact checker comes out yeah exactly. yeah no exactly no much, much appreciated so yeah we, and i love the engagement we're getting from the community not just in the discord but now also on twitter and via email it's it's fantastic yes absolutely keep yeah. it coming so um back to nick's email um mm -hmm. about java worlds being infinite you know practically speaking sort of but mathematically speaking no java worlds are technically finite they have a world border around 30 million blocks out in each direction which of course is vast and more than anybody is generally going to be able to travel without teleporting there is a guy uh, by the name of kurt j mack who does a series called far lands or bust where he is basically walking from his spawn point in a beta version of minecraft where the far lands phenomenon still exists he's walking from the center point of the world to the the far lands which i think still mathematically exists around 30 million blocks out it may be more than that but he does it like a, a podcast or a, a, a vlog kind of thing where he's just talking about whatever as he's wandering through the world it's going to take him about eight years to do uh and i think he's already four wow. years into the project uh, but he's still on the old beta version of minecraft so everything looks very different there's no new updates to it or anything because after a while the mathematically the far lands thing just didn't kind of exist um because the code got refined and so forth but anyway, back to back to my point. Um, my point is that if the nearby resources deplete, you have to go further and further to get them. And that's where the inconvenience lies. And that's why having renewable stuff is a good idea. I, I use the example of stone because it's so kind of fundamental to Minecraft, but stone might have been a bad example. <laughs> I was just thinking of something that, oh, hey, you have a cobblestone generator so you can renew it. I'm thinking more of like, imagine running out of red sand at your nearest mesa, clay from like the nearby swamps and everything. You turn your nether into Swiss cheese looking for quartz. And that's the kind of stuff that it would be nice to be renewable just so you don't have to then, you know, branch out and travel thousands and thousands of blocks just to look for, you know, a little bit more red sand to finish up whatever it is you're building with it. Your, yeah, your, your custom think, beach biome or whatever. Yeah, and I think the point that we we're trying to get to as well is that it gathering is going to be easier than crafting or what or or farming these kind of things so the first thing you're going to do is mine out an area but when things start to be a pain in the butt is when you start to turn to you know tree farming or you know or or any kind of you know 
automation that you can get. Uh, and it's because the one resource that is uh, limited that we didn't mention is time. And it's yes. not necessarily an in-game resource, but it's a, it's a resource that all players have to deal with. I mean, everybody's got jobs and life and all that kind of stuff. And it's it does come down to like, well, how much time do you want to spend walking and looking for the next clay deposit versus having fun building with clay yeah right? yeah and i think and i think that's where where people have to to draw the line so so yeah i think that um i think a little bit more work could be done to make some stuff renewable yeah especially if you're yeah. one of the folks like pixel plague last week who doesn't believe in elytra then yeah <laughs> like i imagine finding finding red sand and stuff after that point must be a bit of a headache so yeah <laughs> We were giving Pixel Blake a hard time in my stream yesterday. He chimed in to say, "By the way, I don't, I don't hate Electra." <laughs> he, he was like, "I don't want to, I don't want to be the, the 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 butt of all of all the rhetoric." But he's, he was, you've he made just, your, he, you've made yourself clear, prefers, sir. You are, he, yes, you're ethically opposed, ethically yes. opposed to Electra. That's, that's how it goes. So we, yeah, we jest, sir. We jest yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. it was very, it was very fun to give him a hard time in stream the other day. But it was, it was. Uh, his point was well made, I think, was was what he was getting at. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah. so let, let's talk about revamping minecarts, because this is another element of Nick's email that we'd even kind of slated for a future discussion on the show. I wasn't mm -hmm. sure if we could fill out the entire sort of discussion topic time with that, but how would you how would you revamp minecarts other than just make them coded better? Because I believe right now, if you put fuel in a furnace minecart, you're not entirely convinced like it, it, it the game forgets which way a furnace minecart is supposed to be going there's a bug where it can just decide to move in the opposite direction for no reason so mm, yeah. so so what what kind of revamp do you feel like minecarts need i think for them to be even remotely usable they need to be faster mm -hmm. uh especially now that elytra is in the game uh because you can you can still use minecarts to get around and they're afk like you can get in one and provided that the system is predictable, which is not, uh, then you can get where you're going while you go get a drink of water or something like that, provided that, you know, you're protected and, and you're willing to do that. Um, I'm thinking specifically actually back in like Hermitcraft season three, I think, uh, there was a long minecart rail that um, Mumbo was using to get back and forth to his base. Uh, and it was very cool to see. And they look fun, but they're not, they're really inefficient. Uh, I wish that you could use them to move stuff more efficiently as well. So there are uh minecart chests that you can fill up with stuff uh and you can remove things from them but the behavior like they bounce off of stuff and it's just it doesn't really it's not convenient um but i mean you can put shulker boxes into a hopper minecart but the problem is that they they behave so wildly that it's a big risk of, yeah. of losing that minecart and having it be you know glitch out disappear uh you know end up end up being an item on the ground that then despawns yeah, uh, yeah, with all sure. of your shulker boxes in it. So like there's that, that issue. But just to, to get like to, to ignore the buggy stuff, I would like to see the ability to make different kinds of minecarts. So like this isn't exactly the, the way that I may do it, but I would say maybe, you know, like gold minecart, diamond minecart. It's faster, stronger, better. As you go up the chain, it's more expensive. It's rarer to find those materials. Uh, we have powered rails. What if we had powered minecarts? You know yeah. that have gold and redstone. Uh, what if minecarts could be chained together in a way that works? You know, like maybe there's a limit. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's five. Whatever that happens to be, uh, that you could then you know have minecarts behave predictably. For example, imagine if you had the items for a potion brew in three different minecarts, 
and as each minecart travels in its chain over a hopper, the hopper takes each item out in sequence and then puts it into the uh, brewing stand in sequence. Right? So there are some really cool uses that you could get out of it without just, you know, being able to sit in, in a minecart. Um, I think it would also be cool. There are some systems exist now where you can be in a mine, put your stuff in the minecart, send it up, have it dump stuff in a system, and then come back empty. Um, and they seem to be working pretty predictably. Um, but that really just improving... It's funny, like outside of just the aesthetic and having a few new abilities, like, you know, powering it and, and having it be uh, chained together, off the top of my head without knowing, you know, what the capabilities are under the hood, I don't know what to suggest because I, I kind of feel hamstrung. How would you improve them? The thing is about minecarts for me, the the ways I would want to use them would be for long distance stuff. And the problem with long distance recall and, you know, sending a minecart a long way away and then bringing it back is once they leave loaded chunks, they just stop moving. Right. And that's a problem that hamstrings farms all the time. If you leave the chunks that a farm is in, then a minecart can just kind of stop in place. And that means that your slime farm is no longer collecting drops and so forth. Um, right. Which is why a lot of people will build uh, these farms in chunks which are permanently loaded like the spawn chunks and so yeah i feel like the problem with minecarts is not necessarily just within minecarts themselves but it's also how the world affects minecart travel if you're a player in a minecart it's it's fine it's like you said it's slow it could be faster <laughs> an amusing idea that occurred to me is to uncap the speed that a minecart can travel and the the wikipedia article for a powered rail says powered rail is a type of rail that is used to decrease or increase the velocity of moving minecarts but obviously there is a limit to how fast it can go if that limit was removed and every piece of powered rail sped you up even faster, can you imagine how absurd that would be? <laughs> Eventually, you're just moving faster than the world can load, and I think that's probably the problem. That may be why I think the yeah. minecarts have to move at a certain speed. But then we've already passed that speed with Elytra. Um, yes. There are folks like the SciCraft server has a, uh, a whole network of these things called piston bolt railways where effectively what you do is you get in a minecart and the the track kind of slopes off to opposite sides doc m also built one of these on hermitcraft recently so that's how i kind of know about it because i don't necessarily follow the sycraft guys quite as closely but the track slopes off to one side and each time you kind of divert off to one side there's a set of pistons either side on a timer that will actually shuttle you forward and being pushed forward the minecart kind of relocates you back onto the track and it just does this constantly as you go, kind of shuttling you from side to side. And it's travel that's way faster than your average minecart rail because it's piston assisted and the pistons are moving so fast for you that it just kind of rattles you along. And it's incredibly noisy because it's using pistons constantly, not to mention the fact that minecarts are quite noisy themselves. But that sort of feels like the pace minecarts should be going at now already, just mm. with powered rail to me. So yeah, I feel like maybe as, as we can expect people's overall pc hardware quality to improve and stuff and, and chunk rendering being less and less of an issue for people who are able to get you know yeah. decent hardware i feel like improving the speed of them would be good i think aside from the bugs and stuff that they have you're right like linking together minecarts would be nice in in the same way that you kind of you drag a llama around and all of the other llamas kind of link in behind it but maybe in a way that's a little bit more easy for players to control but yeah i i'm really not sure aside from you know, revisiting the system, making them a little bit less buggy. There are several minecarts that 
you know, are technically in the game, but aren't really used all that often. The furnace minecart is one. There is a minecart with a command block in it, which I think, I think may have been implemented a while back just so that you could have a command block minecart in adventure maps and stuff like that. So it could move around and once it reached a certain point, like it powered the command block and that activated. So you could set some things right. up on a timer. Uh, I'm not certain what the the other uses of those would be. And, and command blocks themselves have even moved on in technology since that. Uh, there is one other... Uh, there's a there's a minecart mob spawner as well, which I find kind of adorable. Uh, but uh, but th again, that's nothing to do with the survival game, so it's not really something I've had any kind of contact with. And, something that just dawned on me would be... Hmm. It's not just minecarts that could that would be benefit benefiting from, from improvements like this. It also would be rails. So similar to... Um, you know, if you want to make minecarts more fun, forget maybe about game functionality, but uh, the way that rails work on a 45 degree angle is weird. Uh, and and while you travel pretty smoothly, it's an odd thing to look at, you know, with the zigzag um, sort of thing with the rails. So if rails were able to be placed at a 45 degree angle, I think it would improve the experience. And if rails could also be placed upside down, then you could potentially have real loop-de-loops on yeah, minecart like roller coasters. Yeah, at the, at the very least for roller coaster builders, that would be pretty great. Yeah. Like right, right, so, right now, the loops are limited to you have to kind of get the person off of the track and then use slime blocks to bounce them around or something, and you can't really turn upside down. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while we're thinking about, uh, about 45-degree angles, what about pitch and yaw? Like, how cool would it be if when you're traveling along a minecart and you're doing a right-hand turn that there's a risk of the minecart minecart going off the track unless you bank the yes, rail. just having a banked to... track. It'd be like, oh, yeah. suddenly we're playing Roller Coaster Tycoon in Minecraft, yeah, which is yeah, yeah. kind of my ideal I mean, confluence of games, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, and it's sure, I mean, you know what? Maybe maybe add a little Minecraft fix physics in there where even though you're on a 45 or maybe a 90, you don't fall out of the minecart. Maybe they're, they're just they stick to the tracks, you know, like maybe yeah. they've, the, you know, Minecraft sticky grippy technology, whatever you want to call it. I think that would be hilarious. Like you're sending somebody down your nether tunnel and you're going to take a right-hand turn. And before they take the right-hand turn, you go up on the wall, mm -hmm. <laughs> like Bumblebee and Transformers style drive on the wall of the tunnel. Just like, <laughs> that would be so fun and not really break the game. Like it's not going to, it, it may add some cool functionality. I'm not sure. I'm sure a lot of people that do Redstone would have some fun with it. But I mean, that would just add some personality to minecarts that they severely lack. Yeah, that's that's true. That that's interesting as well. Making making minecarts a little bit more a, a bit more fun than just Whimsical. utilitarian. Yeah. yeah, which is what they are right now. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you really want to get fun, tell me what happens when a minecart hits 88 miles an hour. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you, you end up in beta 1.4. All of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> great Scott. <laughs> yes anyway uh and doc m is there waiting for you <laughs> of all people doc m as well yeah um i think that's that's more or less it for the main points of nick's email so thank you nick for that um the the wandering trader we got a little bit of a, a correction on and not necessarily a correction but more of a kind of a nudge in the the direction that moyang was thinking um from from tanner again saying the, the Wandering Trader is conceived more as an idea, as like a hint about what resources are out there and encouraging the player to explore the world rather than preventing the player from exploring the world. And that's part of the reason why they're selling few blocks is to kind of say, well, I got this coral from a coral reef, but you should really go and check out coral reefs. They're pretty dope. 
and I can kind of see that as a as a thing. As as far as our discussion about renewable resources and stuff goes, it's still yeah, you're not providing enough resources for us to really be able to use wandering traders reliably to get a a huge amount of those, but I can see the perspective from a more casual play point of view. Like we we tend to dwell a little bit on the kind of really intense end game survival play. Yeah. And we, we don't think too much about casual players who tend to just think of it as a world to explore and stuff to experience. Mm. We're thinking more about like how many thousands of blocks of sand can I acquire? So yeah, yeah I, I can I can see the point there of, of wandering traders more being an encouragement to travel and wondering exactly where these resources can be acquired naturally. It's not mm-hmm. immediately obvious to people in the game, but maybe it's more of an intuitive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Also, wait wait for their disappointment when they get to Coral and they try and mine it with a normal pickaxe and they can't because you need Silk Touch for it. That's that's <laughs> all I'm saying. Yeah. Wandering Trader yep. should give you some pointers about that. So uh, one more quick bit of chunk mail before we wrap up. Uh, this was from Reuven Z. Excellent name. Uh, Dear Pixel Riffs and Joel, do you ever mix up blocks when viewing them in the inventory slash chest? For example, I always mix up black wool and coal blocks until I grab them. I do. And I, right now I even have it more complicated because my black wool and black concrete textures are the same. Oh, I, I made okay. them. I made them the same because of specific. I, I, it's an experiment right now. I don't know if I'm going to keep it. I'm just, I'm messing around with some ideas. And uh, for now, it's you just, you have to hover and just read. You have to tune, turn on your, your tool tips and just kind of like, you know, make sure you're getting the right block. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't use coal blocks as much as I should, I confess. So I don't know. Uh, but I do uh, with black concrete powder. I would imagine you'd have the same issue. Uh, just trying to figure out, you know, black wool and black concrete powder. They're a little different, but depending on, you know, your monitor and your resolution and stuff, I can see that being a little bit tricky. Yeah. What I find it harder to do is remember which color stained clay terracotta Sorry, I stained clay. I'm old school, but uh, <laughs> you know, colored dyed ter- terracotta, uh, because they're not quite the same as what the name suggests. So yeah. blue terracotta is purple. Yeah, when they've you all put got it they've down. all got that orange tint to all of the colors that has kind of yeah, yeah shifted them slightly yeah. into a different. So the names are misleading, and I find that harder to remember. Well, do I want the light gray or the dark gray terracotta? Neither of which are gray. Yes, yeah, so I want <laughs> the cyan they're... terracotta, which is actually the gray one. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So that that I find more confusing than necessarily mixing up blocks that are the same. I don't know. I don't know if I've had the issue with the new log blocks. Like I haven't had any trouble telling logs apart. I don't necessarily mix up like logs versus bark blocks just because they, they do have that cap yeah. that kind of sets them apart. And I struggled to think of anything off the top of my head that I, I confuse in the in the UI. Do you have anything that you, you kind of click on by mistake? Like wool and concrete are two that are kind of interchangeable. I, I tend to get around this problem because yes, it, it is a it is a bit of a problem. Um, by for a start, having my GUI a certain size. Like if you can up the scale of your GUI, it actually helps a great deal. Um, I recently mm-hmm. did that because somebody in my YouTube audience said that once I got this new computer and started playing in 1080p, I kept the GUI the same size, but it was way smaller, and they were having trouble seeing stuff. It, ah. it took up like a, a smaller amount of the screen. So I've actually sized it up back to more what it would be if I was still playing in 720p. And it adds more detail for the player as well. I mean, for, for a start, put all of the gray blocks in a chest together and see if you can pick out one of them like without having to mouse over them first. It's more difficult than you'd think because stone can look a little bit like gray concrete powder, which can look a little bit like you know various other things. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, the, like you said, the the cyan terracotta versus the gray concrete is going to be quite similar as well. And you know, you can that can play to your advantage when you're just placing the blocks in the world and trying to blend them together for a build palette. But in the chest, yeah, it can be it can be a little bit confusing. The other way I get around this is by being a lot more organized with my storage because Mm -hmm. I never have wool and concrete in the same chests. Like I always put wool as a thing on its own and all of the colors are laid out in there and I know that's the wool chest when I go to it. Same with concrete. Obviously I have build chests where everything gets sort of mixed up a great deal, but it's never a real hindrance. Like I, I, I definitely get mixed up with it occasionally and go, oh, I thought I had a stack of stone, but I don't. I have a stack of gray concrete powder. That's not the same. That's not what I want. Or... I think maybe yeah. andesite versus polished andesite. Occasionally, I'll get mixed up between those. But yeah. I was having that problem for a little while in world, so not in my inventory, but actually looking at the textures on the ground, not in 3.3, but in the beta 3.2, there's a point where andesite and smooth stone was so close yeah, that yeah. it was really difficult to discern. I don't find it's the case now. Andesite has got enough stripes, and it's, in the, if it's, it's shiny enough that it, it differentiates itself from stone. Uh, quite nicely actually but still blends really well so um that's been solved but there there were points during the texture updates and changes that i was like oh i don't know if i i mean i like this change on the surface it looks like a nice block but then when you see it either in world or in inventory like oh they might want to do something uh to try and to try and pull this apart um the issue that i find um in terms of it's not blocks but i find that um since the i can't take advantage of the nbt tags anymore uh, and my plan was to change the colors of different pickaxes with different enchantments and stuff. And, uh, I haven't been able to do that. And something that I find very tricky when I'm going through my chests of pickaxes and shovels and axes, and you're trying to find that the ones with the best enchantments on them, I find that mousing over them and trying to remember from one to the next, which one has the best you know, um, enchantment or the enchantment that you're looking for, mm-hmm. very tedious. Yeah. Because they all just look the same. There's nothing about them that says, I have one enchantment, I have three, right? Yeah. Nothing yeah. visually changes. They just shine. Although I have my enchantment glint turned off, but like all of my pickaxes at this point have enchantments. So it's not necessarily about what does and doesn't. It's like which has the most and which has the least. Uh, and I find that challenging. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what could be if there's anything possible in the game in the future to be to allow the player to change that kind of stuff even if it's just the handle color you know black green blue you know add a little bit of personality to your pickaxe and just say like oh this is an enchanted pickaxe so it's got a purple handle you know stuff like that could could help but um that's where i get caught more often now that we're talking about it i find that my tools and and uh potions uh are things that i always have to mouse over i can't just grab them on a whim with the exception of some you know, fi- fire resistance or orange. They're the only orange one. So, that, yeah. I mean, that's easy. Potions but are going to be the... The, the one to remove the enchantment glint for because you can see the colors of those so much better without the purple overlay. Oh, my overlay. goodness. Yeah. It's, for people that, that, you know, haven't done it, try playing without the enchantment glint. It's an easy thing to change in your texture pack. You can e- e- easily download packs that have it removed. And then go look at your enchanted potions. And it's, it, or potions in general, because they're, they're all enchanted. But, like, it is so much easier to figure out which is which. Yeah. because they don't have a purple overlay on them. It's, You'll it's never believe magical. They, they actually have different colors. <laughs> yeah, they're all just not variants of blue. <laughs> 
Well, thank you guys so much for all of the chunk mail coming in. Please do keep it coming. It's been great to read out some of it on this episode, but that is going to be it for us for today. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about at thespawnchunks.com. Uh, the music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast, especially proud this week because we have had four additional patrons join us in the Discord. Thank you guys so much for your support. You're getting us closer to our quarterly Patreon hangout goal, and dare I say, it, getting us close to our February goal of having a full stack of patrons. That's 64 to anybody who doesn't know Minecraft terminology quite as well. And I'm, if you don't, I'm impressed that you've made it through the podcast so far. But if you're interested <laughs> in hearing more of this podcast and you want to put some value back in, you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to the aforementioned patrons only Discord chat. If you can't donate to us financially, of course, that's not a problem. There are plenty of other ways that you can help support the show. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to go. So tell your friends on your favorite server uh, about the show and tell them that they should listen. And we've been seeing a lot of likes and love for the show when we release new episodes on Monday or Tuesday on social media. And it's very, very much appreciated. I'm going to issue a challenge. Instead of liking the show, retweet it. Share it because that gets us in front of a lot more eyeballs than a simple like on Twitter. Uh, and uh, of course, you can always email the show at thespawnchunks at gmail.com and let us know what you think about the stuff that we talked about today. You can find us by name on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify, and reviews on those platforms. We'll also put the podcast in front of more ear holes than not, and it's free to do those reviews. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com, and the Patreon-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, that is the only place that you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. On the, uh, the subject of iTunes reviews, we actually got a review on the American iTunes store, which is something that thankfully I can get to on the on the web. Uh, I can't look at any other iTunes store than the UK iTunes store on my own copy of iTunes. But I imagine we have a few more reviews on the, the American site. One of them says, how is this not the first thing to pop up in the podcast app when I search Minecraft? And the answer is because we need more reviews from you guys <laughs> and, more shares, and yep. a few more episodes under our belt as well, because I think we're competing with people who have uploaded like 200 or so episodes several years ago now. But the more, you know, the more love you can give the show, the more that helps us in the rankings. So please do continue to share out the show, leave reviews and ratings and stuff like that. It all counts a great deal. RSS feeds is how a lot of these services uh, look at the popularity of a show. So if you're listening on the website uh, and the, and you want to help support the show, subscribe to the RSS feed because, you know, whether it's iTunes or Android or Stitcher or Spotify, whatever it happens to be, that will also help us rise in the ranks. My name is Pixel Riffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I'm also the voice for the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I play a variety of other games, but Minecraft has started to creep back into my routine. Aside from that, I'm at pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online is at joelduggan.com. That includes links to other podcasts I do, social media, as well as things like YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all just my name. And I'm going to plug Twitch because I'm having an absolute blast over there as often as I can. I normally stream on weekends. Uh, so check me out usually mid-afternoon at twitch.tv slash joelduggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but make sure you know where a bed is. <laughs>